It's a pleasure to be opening the Word of God with you here this morning. And uh, we're in a series called Revelation, which is uh, helping us to see the whole Jesus over the course of this Advent, that we're looking at the baby in the manger, but we're also looking at the Lord of all creation. So I'm going to read two texts that do a bit of that uh, as we begin this morning. First one's from Matthew chapter 2, and then we're going to be looking at some verses from Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and uh, the first 10 verses of that. So I'll I'll read for us now. The first one, just to set the scene, is... uh, where you've got the Magi coming along to visit uh, the Christ child. And uh, it starts like this. This is in Matthew 2, verse 10, I'll read from. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And now from Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your delight in the Son. We thank you that you love the Lord Jesus Christ and that you sent him to us, that he is the word of the Father that appeared in flesh amongst us. And Lord, we just ask you to come now by your Holy Spirit and bring your word alive in our hearts. Cause uh, cause the Christ child to be born in us, even today, that we, that we sense that spirit of Christ moving in us, that we sense life coming back uh, where there's dullness, that we sense energy coming back where there's weariness, and that we sense the King of Kings in our presence today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, we're deep into Advent now. We're deep in. And uh, that, that has meant a lot of Christmas productions for some people. That, that, has, that has meant a, a, bit, a bit of a tour and all of them have been majestic and, uh, and very, uh, very arresting in, in their sensations, I would say. I have three daughters, and they're all performers of great caliber. Uh, and I, I, attended, I attended the year two, I think it was a key stage one, actually, key stage one nativity at my, my children's school uh, in this last week. And it was surprisingly biblical. So I can report back and say, and I, there's a bit of an emphasis on the surprisingly there as well. You know, some years it is, 
other years it, it leaves questions hanging. Um, one thing that's been puzzling me a little bit was a song that they sang which is called Shepherds and Kings. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. Uh, well, apparently it's a legitimate song. I, I, I asked ChatGPT, nothing. It's very apologetic, I don't have any information on that. But I googled it and apparently it's a Benedictine monk song um, from, from the States, Shepherds and Kings, and it has has a really intriguing refrain, and refrain's the bit that you sing over and over again. And it says, shepherds and kings who are following hopes and stars, not knowing where they're going. And the end of the refrain says, but certainly, we're all shepherds and kings. And I'm not sure, and you might be able to help me with this, I'm not sure whether that's genius or philosophically bankrupt. I, 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 I don't know. I'm still stuck on that, so that's my Christmas thought. We're all shepherds and kings. Surely we're all shepherds and kings. It's like emphatic. Surely we're all shepherds and kings. But it's got the bit about following hopes and stars. And I was like, oh, actually, yeah, okay. That's what we're talking about here. What you're talking about when you talk about the wise men, they're not kings, actually. They're, they're magi. They're, they're more like scientists. You've got some scientists from a nation that isn't the people of God. They're not this covenant people who've got a long history but they've been given the heads up. You need to follow this star. You need to follow the wisdom and the knowledge that you've been given, and it's going to bring you to the center of reality. And in that first verse that I read from uh, Matthew 2, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. Again, a language problem there. You know, how, how often do you, when you're happy, say, I rejoiced, <laughs> rejoiced ex exceedingly with great joy. Um, it, it kind of smoke screens what's going on. These, these guys are beside themselves. With joy, they, 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 this is it. This is, the, this is the thing that we're orientated towards, and now it's here. And what a surprise that these, these men who are illustrious in a foreign culture, an alien culture, to turn up uh, to, to worship at the crib of this baby. And they bring him three gifts, and they bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which have certain symbolisms that are talking about... Uh, who this is that they're bringing. Who, who is this, this child king that they're coming to honour from the nations as well? It's really important that God is caring about the whole of the earth and he's bringing the nations to his salvation, to his light, to his king that he's sent. And they bring him gold. So I've got a couple of questions today. And the first one is, what is he worth, this child, that they come to honour with these gifts? They're all expensive gifts. But the gold speaks of kingliness. The gold speaks of worthiness. And it's something that we're used to. We're used to a history of the gold standard in economy. Even gold itself, when you look at it, is alluring. There's something about it where you're like, ah, oh, this is like the best of the earth. This came out of the earth, but it comes out pure. And it comes out entrancing. So entrancing. You get stories like the old legend of Midas, which talks about him saying, well, you know, if I can have anything, I, I wish I had the power to make everything gold. I just want everything to be gold. And then he comes a cropper because there's, there's an idolatry, there's a greed, and he touches his loved ones and they become gold, and then they're no more his loved ones, they're just gold. So there's a lesson in it. There's, there's an allure and there's a danger that goes along with gold because it is the best of the earth. Uh, more recently, there's the series on BBC, the, the, which is called The Gold, which talks about uh, the, the Brinks map, uh, burglary, the robbery, which happened in 1983, where uh, it's a it's really audacious theft of, of gold, and they're melting it down so it becomes 
you know, untraceable. And it, it remains to this day unresolved. It's, it's, it's one of these things where a couple of people get arrested, but you get the feeling they're never going to get there. They're never going to get to the bottom of this because it's gold and it's slippery and it's dangerous and it's worthy. So they honour him with gold. They bring this thing in, which, as I say, it's like the best of the earth. But that's not really good enough. It's almost like a noble sin that they bring him gold. A sin is a failure. It's where you don't quite make it. And that might sound weird, because you'd think, well, if someone gave me a bit of gold bullion now, I, I wouldn't see that as a noble sin. I'd be like, the noble, yes, but the sin, maybe not. But for him, really, the fact that it's acceptable to him is the marvellous thing. He's worth more. It's more of a Revelation 4 thing than a Revelation 5 thing. So you see, in the book of Revelation, you have these different songs being sung in the throne room of heaven. And in Revelation 4, there's praise going up to the Ancient of Days, the Holy One, saying to him, you're worthy because you created all things. You made everything. And it all speaks of you. It gives you praise. When it's functioning right, it's orientated towards you because you're the creator God. And it speaks about that. And then in Revelation 5, the chapter that we've been talking about here, you read things like, you're worthy to take that scroll. That scroll's the judgments of God. You're worthy to judge the whole earth. Why? Because you were slain. Because you gave yourself. You poured out that lifeblood for the world. You poured yourself out. The, The living God poured himself out in the midst of the world, for the world, for the redemption of the world. And that's made him worthy. He's given him the rights over the whole world to speak that judgment. So the song of creation in Revelation 4 is augmented by the song of salvation in Revelation 5, the song of redemption, which, uh, which both of those are sung through the same word of God. The same one who's spoken in creation is the same one who's spoken in redemption. Haggai 2 verse 8, which is a, a small prophetic book in the Old Testament, has Yahweh, the God of Israel, saying, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. He's just drawing your attention back to it. Because I'm trying to make a case here that gold's not that worthy. Okay? That's quite a hard case to make, because we used to be like, gold is a worthy thing. That's worthy. If you want to talk about symbolic worth, you talk about gold. You kind of, you, you go there. God very helpfully takes you by the hand, takes his people by the hand and says, well, it actually lifts the head and says, look, whose is the gold? Whose is the silver? Who do these things belong to? The Lord Jesus does this in the New Testament as well. People come to him and say, oh, should we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes? You know, we're on this revolutionary movement. Should we still honour the earthly authorities? He said, bring me a coin. They bring him a coin. He says, whose, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. And he says, great, it's got Caesar's picture on it, you better give it to Caesar. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's, is what he says. And we always think that it tails off a bit, that, that, that punchline. But it really doesn't, because whose image is on Caesar? This is what the Lord says. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and Caesar's responsible to give what's God to God. Because Caesar is God's. And the silver is his, and the gold is his, and you're his. You belong to him, and he orientates you towards himself. And he draws you back, and he appeals to you through his word. And he calls to you, even today, calls to you. So we think about how can we honour him? What can we give? 
What, what do we render to God? Well, I want to give him the best. Okay, I could give him the gold. He'll accept it because he's kind. <laughs> He'll accept it because he's kind, not because that's what he's worth. So the gold he accepts from these people of the earth. He accepts it. That's amazing. I want you to see that that is amazing that he accepts the gold because the gold is his and the silver is his. In, in, the, in the carol, like carols come in different forms. I've sung quite a few this week. Uh, in the bleak midwinter. I've, done, I've sung two different versions of it, but with the same lyrics. And I must admit, by about verse six or seven, some carols start to tail off a bit. And um, in the bleak midwinter, I like a lot, you know, it appeals to, 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 to my sense of bleakness and British winter. But in the bleak midwinter has a line which I can only think that they were scanning the rhyming dictionary for. It's, what, what can I give him poor as I am? If I was a, I would give a lamb, bam, there we go. So, so there, there we go, we've, we've got a nice rhyme there. If I was a shepherd, I'd give a lamb. And then it doesn't really follow. If I was a wise man, I'd do my part. You know? And it, 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 it kind of goes off, but then they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. But what could I give him? Give my heart. That's not sentimental, give the core of me. That's right, actually, yeah. Give to God what's God's. You give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and you give to God what's God's. And when, when you say, give my heart, okay, that, that's maximally the very least that he's worthy of from you. He's going to be worthy of more, by the way. But, but for our part, how do we respond? Give a heart. Say, you orientate me. The heart in the Bible is like the compass of your life. And it's like you hand it over and say, okay, you, you, set, you set true north for me. You set true north, and it's, it's not you doing him a favour, by the way. That is just you aligning with what is right. Just being brought in. Render to God what is God's. And do that this Christmas season. So that was the first question, what's he worth? Well, I've, I've started. I said, okay, he's, he's worth a bit more than God. And our response is to, is to give of ourselves completely to him and be blessed in the giving. It's much more blessed to give than receive. If you give your heart to God, who's more blessed? You are, friend. You are, you are brought into true blessedness. As you give your heart, he gives you life in all its fullness. He directs you. He directs your steps. He walks with you through the valley. He stands with you on the mountaintop. And he's with you all the time. The second question is a bit more personal. And probably a bit less welcome. It's, uh, what are you worth? What are you worth? And how do you find out? How can you tell? How can you tell what you're worth? Uh, you can assess yourself. You can do a self-assessment. And uh, on, a, on a good day, you might pass a bit. But then you have bad days, don't you? You have days when you're not able to do your job, when you're sick, when you're sad, when you're bereft, and any number of other things, when you're weak and just aware of how much you annoy yourself. And you know, I, I can't give myself five out of ten today. I'm not really there. So my self-assessment's not going to be great today. And at that moment, you might have good friends who kind of swoop in. Say, no, you're all right, you're all right. You'll get back on your feet. They help you see the future. They help you to hope again. That's a provision of God. That's a grace of God. That you have friends and family and even strangers that by the providence of God will speak into your life and say, you're worth it. 
There's, someone, there's something out there that is affirming your worth, and it's bigger than the voices that are coming to you. But the only real answer is to go to the creator, because you render to God what's God's. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to your friends. You don't, with respect, belong to your family. You belong to your creator. And all of us do, and all of this does, and all of the outside belongs to him. It all is orientated rightly towards him. Jesus really kindly helps his disciples see a bit of this in Matthew 10. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. And it's a funny line, so it sticks in your head. I like that. You know, I can't remember the last time I compared myself to any number of sparrows, but I'm reliably told in Scripture I'm worth more than many of those. And God loves them. God does not detest sparrows. He's, he celebrates and delights in all he has made. And he abundantly delights in his image bearers as they, as they reflect the image of God, as he polishes the mirror and brings you back to true reflection of that God of gods, that light of lights, that he wants to see the same light reflected in you and enjoy it and rejoice in it himself. But see that line in verse 31 of Matthew 10 says, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. That's his conclusion. He's saying, okay, I've done the equation for you. I've shown you sparrows are worth this. God thinks of them like that. You're worth more than them. Okay, I've helped you. Conclusion... Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious, it says in others. Don't worry. And friends, there is a bit of an epidemic of this, of worry, of insecurity, of anxiousness, anxiety, of uh, factors storming in on you, of bad news after bad news, of economic woe, of personal household financial crisis. All of these things that are real and that are walked through and if you're not going through it, it's the next door neighbour is. And you, you live in this environment of anxiety. But Jesus encourages you. Jesus, your glory and the lifter of your head, encourages you to see that you don't need to be afraid. Not just because it's like blasé, uh, you know, don't worry, be happy. This is not it. He's saying on the simple grounds of worthiness, that you've been found worthy by the living God, that he has been pleased to judge you worthy in Christ, that he has sent his son in the flesh, the word of the father, now in flesh appearing, to live a perfect life, to fulfill that human side of the covenant and to invite you into his victory. You know, the story, I spoil it for you, the book of Revelation is not just about the victory of Jesus, he wins at the beginning of it. He wins at the beginning. The story of the book of Revelation it's that you win in Christ. Anyone in Christ wins. That's why it's a, a great hit with anywhere where the church is persecuted. People open that book of Revelation, and it's not just for the weird imagery and the esoteric stuff. It's the hope. It's the hope of victory, which is assured. And John wants people to see this. He's saying, look, he has won, and he invites you into him and into his victory. That true vine says, come and be a benefit of the life that's in me and benefit of the victory that's in me. So don't be anxious. I can, can I just linger on this a little bit longer? Because 
I feel like I can try and make a really good logical case, but I really want you to just hear the scripture and let it do its work on you this Christmas, this, this new year. And I want us to be different because of it. I want us as individuals to be different, but I want you to be a beacon of hope and light in a city and a country that is slightly on its knees and slightly without any real hope. You know, you can do distraction and you can do, let's, let's be positive rather than negative and things like that, but this isn't that. This isn't that. This, this is refocusing attention back to what has God said? What's God's assessment of this world? Does he hate the world? Is he, is, is, is he allowing it to fall into all of this sin and turmoil because he hates it? And that's the ultimate thing. You know, wherever these alarm bells of pain and suffering and persecution and wrongness go off, the living, loving God is calling people back to himself and is causing people to see him. He's causing people to see the truth that, that they were created worthy, that they trade off the worthiness, that they've, they've sacrificed it, they've walked away from righteousness, rightness, God, and try to be self-sufficient, try to weigh themselves with the gold. Whereas he's saying, come back, be healed, be restored, be made whole. Whoever loses their life for my sake, says Jesus, finds it. You find the thing. You find the thing that you're looking for. You're like the Magi who's following hopes and starts. Surely we're all shepherds and kings in that respect. That actually we walk that same path of those people in poverty who God came to and those people in authority and lauded by the world. You know, you have shepherd days and king days. Either way, there's a king of kings who lovingly calls you back, not, not begrudgingly, calls you back into the fullness of life that's in him. So let me just turn to what he's worthy of. This is the, the last point. What's he worthy of? Okay, we've established that he's worth more than gold, but what is he worthy of? We've established that you are deemed worthy by God in Christ, and he calls you to be in Christ. What's he worthy of? Well, it says in the text, it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, before this, John's been looking and he's saying, I, w- I was desolate, I wept, I was crying, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The picture is that he's in that throne room. He's hearing the heavenly worship about how how great you are because you've created all of this stuff. And he sees that the judgments of God, which need to be opened so that rightness can be done on the earth, so that things can be set right, now, you might worry about this, and you know, that's a legitimate fear, because actually we're not usually on the side of rightness. We need someone to bring us on the side of rightness. But this scroll needs to be opened. John weeps because no one's there to open it. He's crying because this needs to be opened. Justice needs to be done. Righteousness needs to happen. There's something in every human heart, and it doesn't matter what you believe, actually, This is a really nice piece of common ground when you're trying to explain this stuff to people because you're like, don't you think things should be right? Don't you think things should be just? 
Don't you feel terrible when injustice and callousness and brutality happens? Yes, you do. And everyone will say, oh, that's because I'm human. Not enough. That's not enough explanation. That doesn't explain it. It is an uncanny thing. It's strange. Why? Why must that scroll be open? Because you know that righteousness is right. And it's not because you're a Christian, if you're a Christian here today, that you know that righteousness is right. You know that righteousness is right because by the grace of God, he hasn't let the image of us be decayed to the point where we can't tell right from wrong, where we we can't discern this is the desirable, this is the right, this is what should happen. Because he's kind and he's generous and he's gracious to his world and he's preserving us. People say, well, why doesn't he come back? Why doesn't he do that? Because he's patient. Because he's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to confess the name of Jesus. He wants people to come in and accept that good gift that has been given of Christ. There was, a, there was another song, uh, a worship song, which was actually for children. It was a Methodist one called He Was Found Worthy. And it's quite repetitive. I won't sing it for you. And George won't either, he promises. Uh, it has a refrain where, where people respond back. Well, actually, it's supposed to be children responding back. He was found worthy. And these statements are made, and they respond, he was found worthy, you know, like that. And the statements that are made are of profound worth, scriptural worth. And I just want to read it to you, and I'm going to omit some of the he was found worthies because it says it a lot. Interestingly, as a children's song, it has a chorus that goes, oh, the bleeding lamb, oh, the bleeding lamb, oh, the bleeding lamb, he was found worthy. (laughs) Which, to me, is very powerful, but I don't know if I'd hear it in Sunday school today. (laughs) Different times, but true, because it's by his blood that people were ransomed. It's by the pouring out of the blood of the lamb. It goes like this. When none was found to ransom me, to set a world of sinners free, to take the book and loose the seal, to bruise the head that bruised his heel, he was found worthy. To bridge the gulf twixt man and God and save the rebels by his blood, to open wide the gates of heaven, to him all majesties given, he was found worthy. To reign over all the ransomed race, I've tasted of his saving grace. His blood has washed me white as snow, and all his fullness I shall know. He was found worthy. Now we're starting to feel our way biblically around the worthiness of Christ. The baby in the manger, destined to be the one who takes the scroll. He's given the gold, he's given the scroll, and the scroll speaks of that ultimate worthiness to be our loving king, to be a head over the whole of humanity, to ransom people of the whole world by his blood. That's really important for you. If you've excluded yourself from this kind of idea in the past, in your heart or vocally or anything like it, I want you to know today that he was proclaimed in heaven to be worthy because he was slain, he was killed, And by his blood, he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Every tribe, every way that you would divide up people and say, well, they're like this, and these are their culture, and this is is what they do. Every tribe, he reaches in his hand of grace and says, come with me, come to righteousness. And he doesn't knock off the distinctives. He's glorified by those tribes around the throne of heaven. 
giving praise and glory, not as a monolithic congregation of robots, but as the tapestry of matured human life that starts across its breadth to show something of the fullness of the image of God. Friends, it's not just you who's in the image of God. It's, we see a bit more of it when we're with more believers and with more people. And when, when we're in a room like this, oh, okay, I'm starting to sense that God is about a bigger picture and he's about projecting a bigger picture of himself. And yes, he's reaching out into the corners and into the places which haven't yet hurt. And he's making his appeal through us. What an honour that he who is found worthy says over you, you're worthy and you're not just worthy to be put on a shelf. I've got exploits for you to do. First part of that is lifting that anxiety off you, lifting that worry, lifting your head, affirming you again, not with hot air, not with this motivational speak, but with a declaration, you are beloved of the Father. He did not withhold his own son from you. How much more will he graciously give you all things? That gives you confidence when you pray, when you come to a month of prayer, when you come, come to make your protests known to him and your petitions. However they're made. I want to draw your attention to a little bit more gold before we finish. In verse 8, golden bowls of incense which are the prayers of the saints, are held up before God. And the God who came in the flesh and accepted that gift of gold now has the, gift, has the gold lifted before him again. With what in it? The prayers of the saints. Now, don't think that that's something illustrious. The groans of the heart, the words to God that come from each of us, what happens to them? You know, someone might have said to you, if you're, if you're a religious believer and they're not, they'll say, well, send one up for me. And they think it goes up and it dissipates. But just as the word of God himself, when he speaks it, is never rescinded, he takes your word seriously. And you say your prayers, you might rate them 6 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 2 out of 10, depends on the day. Quality prayers. He hears your voice, whatever the weather it's in the golden bowl, in the throne room of God, offered up as incense, offered up into the life of God, inhaled by him. You might not be used to thinking of him as this intimate, but he is. And he wants to minister to us as we take the bread and wine today. He wants to say, I will feed you with my good news. It's the same gospel in that bread and wine as it is that's being preached that there's a God who loves you, who is eternally given, never withholding his hand from you, always for you, never against you, calling you into the life of God. Now that might be triggering off things in your heart where you think, well, I need to drop this, I need to put that down. I've got a bit of what I've deemed to be gold, but actually as I start thinking about this stuff in relation to the one who owns it all, I realise that I've made that a little bit too important. There's a gracious call to you today. Let's put, put the gold down. Step away from the gold. Come to the worthy one. Come and be fed and watered and blessed. You really can entrust yourself to him. You really can give to God what's God's today. Paul says elsewhere, like, this, is, this is your logical act of worship. It's just logical. It makes sense. 
if he loves you, if he's for you, if he is ultimate reality, if he is righteous and he's able to make righteous, and he's able to righteously make righteous the unrighteous, he's able to bring you in to the life and the love and the power and the family, all of these things, and causes light to shine out of you. And it's our logical act of worship today to come to him who was found worthy. We're going to take communion together and go let Ben lead us into that. I'll just pray one more time and then let Ben lead us into taking the supper together. Lord, we just thank you that you are overjoyed all the time, that there's peace in heaven and there's peace and joy today. Lord God, we do want to join our voices in song right now. Really intentionally, we just want to lift our voices to join the song of heaven that praises the one who is both creator and redeemer and who's been glad to call us worthy sons and daughters if we trust in that simple provision of the gift that is total, that that is total over the whole of a life. And for those who are anxious and worried today, Holy Spirit, we just want to pray that you lift burdens inexplicably, God, in a way that goes beyond beyond rationality, goes beyond our thinking. I want to pray that you just come and do kind things in this room because you're a kind God. And I thank you that as I pray this prayer, it is in a golden bowl of incense before the very throne of God, heard and treasured by you, by your mercy. Amen.